Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I took a drive up to northern Maine in northern Aroostook County to uh, visit some family members before we head out of state. A.K.A. the county. The county is what we call it. It's a third of the state. It's a huge county. And it hasn't changed much since... Oh, maybe the Revolutionary War. Um, no, it's beautiful up there. It really is. It's God's country is, it, is what they call it. It's very rural. And it's it's lovely. It's beautiful. And things just, they're the way that they've pretty much always been. I stopped into uh, a little mom and pop corner store. And again, it's one of those old creaky floor kind of places with the slamming screen door. I love the creaky floor place. And you walk in and they've got those uh, big gallon jars full of pickled eggs. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, guys who are working in the field come in at lunchtime and, you know, swish their hand around inside and grab a couple of them. And... I have never seen an adult person put their hand in one of those jars. Well, in the cooler was uh, a couple of different items. I mean, you have what you would expect in there. Fireball sandwiches. Sure. Fireball sandwiches, which are like Italians. Or Italians, as most Mainers call them. And then you had um, one shelf and on it, there was macaroni salad. Yeah. And right next to it, Fishing bait. Yeah, that um, seems right. Yeah, so you, you had the, the macaroni salad and then uh, the same kind of container, yeah. uh, but instead of mac salad in it, uh, it was blood worms. Yeah, tub of worms. Tub of blood worms yeah. right next to the mac salad in the cooler at the store in the county. Yeah, I um, like I know what you're getting at, but I just wouldn't have even acknowledged that that was weird because <laughs> I'm so used to that just being part of life. It's like, yeah, the worms go in the cooler. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Right next to the deli salad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so our advice to you is if you ever visit Rooster County mm. and you uh, stop and get something to eat at the convenience store, take a moment or two longer when making your deli salad purchase. And avoid the pickled eggs. Oh, I'm going to miss this place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Pablo Escobar. 
you know, the former cocaine drug king from the Medellin cartel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everybody knows his story for the most part. Colombian drug lord, a narco-terrorist. Uh, he was the founder and sole leader of the Medellin cartel. I can't wait to go to Medellin. It's it's a different town from when when he was there. Uh, thank God. The uh, the king of cocaine is what he was called. He was estimated to be the wealthiest criminal in history. Wow. And yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. He founded the uh, cartel in 1976. Uh, it distributed powder cocaine, and he was the one that established the first smuggling routes into the U.S. And by the 80s, it was estimated that uh, he led monthly shipments of 70 to 80 tons of cocaine oh my goodness. out of Colombia into the U.S. per month. Wow. Yeah. And you know how it ended. Law enforcement officials, they uh, were able to triangulate a cell phone call. They found out where he was mm-hmm. and uh, a big gunfight ensued. On December 2nd, 1993, he was, uh, he was gunned down. That was the end of Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things about this guy that, uh, well, first of all, it's controversial. Uh, he still is considered a controversial figure, not only because of his reign of terror right. um, and, and assassinating journalists and law enforcement officials. So, of course, he, he was reviled by most people. But some people looked at him as kind of a Robin Hood kind of guy. He uh, he made all this money, but he would build soccer fields for the youth and uh, housing wow. complexes. And so there are a lot of people that still think of him as a bit of a folk hero even though he murdered thousands of people. Yeah, it's kind of cuckoo. It's like, I mean, I get that you love that he gave back to the community, but that's not quite enough to make up for the, (laughs) you know, I love a soccer field. Don't get me wrong. And clearly he did it for public relations. You know, Pablo Escobar was in it for Pablo Escobar. But regardless of all of that, here are some facts about Pablo Escobar, ridiculous things that you probably didn't know. Well, honestly, I don't know that much about Pablo Escobar. And I was actually kind of surprised when you said you were going to talk about him because I didn't realize that he was interesting. This guy was something else. Okay. All right. Um, here's a few things maybe you didn't know about the guy. Pablo Escobar, his his family was in hiding at one point, uh, not only from law enforcement, but from rival cartel members who wanted to take him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and his daughter, Manuela, got sick. And so he needed to keep her warm and he didn't have enough firewood. Oh. So he ended up uh, burning about two million U.S. dollars just to keep her warm that night. That's the kind of money this guy had. Right. But that's also, I mean, that's a lot to burn. And so it was that important to him that he keep his daughter alive. So maybe Pablo Escobar wasn't only about Pablo. Well, I don't know why I'm trying to make him out to be a good guy. I <laughs> just forget that I said that. He bought a Learjet, um, but it wasn't for him or for anybody other than, uh, well, it was for his money. He bought oh, a, he bought a Learjet for... and he would fly his money around so that people couldn't get it, I okay. guess. I, I don't know. He had so much of it. One of the ways that he smuggled cocaine into the United States was- uh, I'm listening. <laughs> inside of airplane tires. Oh. He would fill the airplane tires with cocaine and he had a number of uh, pilots on his payroll mm-hmm. And they could make as much as a half a million dollars a day. Wow. If they just landed with these tires full of cocaine. You don't, I mean, you don't. I'm not support, condoning that. Right? At of all. course. Yes. No, of course not. Make good choices. 
So the U.S. comes in at one point, and they're trying to get the Colombian government to extradite Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. to the United States. And so Escobar is like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to go to the United States. No, thank you. Um, They'll make me give up selling drugs. And so he thought the best way to do this was to get rid of the extradition laws that Colombia held. Here's what he did. He contacted the government and he told them that he would pay Colombia's debt, which was $10 billion. (gasps) He would pay their debt if they would change the extradition laws. That's how much money this guy had. Did they? No. As you could probably imagine, running a um, a drug cartel, there's a lot of expenses on a on a monthly basis. Sure. Uh, I hope he has one of those cards with points. Yes. You know. Right. Yeah. Some some sort of a point system. If you're going to be buying airplane tires, you you might as well get the points. Right. Um, He would spend about two hundred. No, I'm sorry, two thousand five hundred dollars a month. On rubber bands to hold his money. <gasps> Wait, how much? Twenty five hundred U.S. a month. A month on Just rubber, for band. rubber bands. On rubber bands. That's how much cash this guy had, and it was almost all in cash. Twenty five hundred dollars a month on rubber bands. Yeah, Escobar's earnings at the peak of his influence: thirty billion dollars. Wow. He was listed in Forbes magazine. As one of the richest people in the world, I think he got up to number seven. I feel like that's irresponsible. For Forbes? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, I, I had the same feeling. <laughs> in the late 1980s, the Colombian authorities decided they were going to try to crack down on his organization by seizing his properties. And in the process, they seized 142 airplanes, 20 helicopters, 32 yachts, and 141 homes and offices, and it didn't slow the guy down. Whoa. I, you know, I knew the guy was rich. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. No, neither did I. I was just having a conversation with my sister and her husband the other night about um, when I have a yacht. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and uh, her husband, Ed, said um, something about, oh, well, you got to be careful because uh, the government really loves taking away yachts. And my sister looked at him like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you know, if you don't pay your taxes. And she looked at him with the most incredulous look on her face. And she said, what kind of a yacht owner do you think my sister is? (laughs) She's always rallying to your defense. It's true. It's true. Sometimes when I don't deserve it. Not only 32 some odd yachts, but uh, his business was so big and it really became so scrutinized that in addition to all of that stuff, mm-hmm. he had he bought two submarines to transport cocaine into the U.S. Oh, wow. Submarines. I don't think I'd like that, a submarine full of cocaine. That, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Well, especially if you've got somebody on board that's freebasing. You know, that's just... I don't know what that means. That's what uh, Richard Pryor was doing when he caught himself on fire. What is it? Are you are you cooking the cocaine? Do you put it in soup? I'm not an expert. Uh, let me look this up. Um, okay, freebasing cocaine is essentially it's inhaling the vapor from applying a heat source like a lighter or whatever to base cocaine. Um, it's u- usually simply referred to as freebasing. It's not the same as smoking crack, but that's what Richard Pryor was doing. And uh, boom. I didn't know that either. 
I'm learning so much today. When authorities raided Pablo Escobar's house, Mm -hmm. among his uh, possessions, uh, he had a Spanish translation of the self-help classic, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. That's That's weird. That's a testament. (laughs) (laughs) Even though Pablo Escobar was estimated to have about $30 billion at one point, they estimate that 10% of his money was likely uh, consumed by rats. They just Oh, I don't think that's good for them. (laughs) Probably not. It was probably covered in cocaine. I feel like such a doofus because I'm really, I'm learning a lot. Now, not only did Escobar try to pay off Colombia's national debt of $10 billion to get the extradition laws uh, changed, once that didn't work, he used his money to get elected to Colombia's Congress. Oh, so that he could work on changing the laws. Right. Well, at least he was just, he was trying to make a difference in the government. He was civic minded, (laughs) that guy. The biggest single cocaine shipment that Escobar made was uh, 51,000 pounds of it in one day. That's just remarkable. So when Escobar was gunned down, uh, he had a uh, he had several bullet wounds, but one was right in his ear. Ew. And they don't know if it was self-inflicted, oh. if it happened during the gun battle, mm-hmm. or if once he was wounded, they just came over and capped him. Many of Sorry, them. Did you say capped him? Yeah. Isn't that what the kids say? At his funeral, 25,000 people, mostly uh, poor Colombians, showed up to honor the man. Mm. Uh, Well, they say that that the cemetery was just overrun with people paying their respects to this man because he, you know, what he would do, too, is he would just go to the poorer sections of the city, just himself, and just hand out money. Oh, yeah. Well, that certainly encourages that Robin Hood vibe. Yeah, for sure. So he had, of course, a lavish, extravagant estate that he that he lived in. He had several, but mm-hmm. his main one was just, it was huge and sprawling. After his death, Escobar's Colombian estate was uh, seized by the government mm-hmm. and transformed into a theme park. Oh. Yeah. Cocaine land. No, I don't know what they called it. What kind of rides would they have at the Pablo Escobar theme park? Cocaine. (laughs) Something like Expedition Everest, you know, because of all that snow, right? (laughs) It could be. It could be. But uh, the theme park featured animals, life-size dinosaur models, and uh, also Escobar's collection of classic cars. And so much more. Oh, so that sounds like fun. Is it yeah. still open? I don't know if it's still open or not. Probably. they. Uh, he actually had a, a private zoo on his land where he brought in giraffes and hippos. And uh, it's my understanding that the hippos still to this day roam around free in that area. Ooh. Just roaming about. I love hippos. Well, I think we should go there if it's still open. I always misspell Medellin, though, so I'm having a really hard time with TripAdvisor. <laughs> and now... That thing in the middle. Bobby Fischer was the greatest chess player ever. He was so good that there was very little point in even trying to play against him. Years after he retired, Fischer played a grandmaster and beat him 17 times in a row. According to the grandmaster, Fischer wasn't even trying. Here's a festive idea for a dinner party. All your guests have to dress like someone or something mentioned in a box of oddities podcast. I'll be there dressed like a urine-soaked porcupine. 
This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, 
shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So Brent sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. He says, so I'm listening to box 343 and your thing in the middle about main license plates. Mm. Fuck you and fuck me. All I could think about is how amusing it would be if the two drivers passed each other on the road. It would be like license plates were having a conversation. Of course, there would obviously be one winner, and that would be, and that would be fuck you. Thanks for the laughs. I'm so happy I found your podcast when you were about 10 episodes in. Wow. Wow. Been listening religiously ever since. Since Thanks, Brent. Brent from New Jersey with a humorous comment about main license plates and how we can put anything we want on them here. Yes, I am going to miss this state. Oh. <sighs> But to keep my mind off of that, how about telling me a story? I would love to. So uh, not long ago, we were talking about something. You mentioned the anchor tattoo, and you were like, do you know what that means? And I was like, I don't know. Stead- it was during your Popeye story. Steadfastness. Oh, yes. That's right. Thank you. Yep. And uh, it got me thinking about traditional mariner tattoos had meanings, and maybe we should look into that a bit. Because the anchor tattoo, I said, I thought that I had, had seen somewhere that that was indicative of a sailor who had crossed the Atlantic. Was I correct? Did you check on my on my uh, on my facts? I did. And was I correct? You were correct. Oh, good. Because <laughs> sometimes I just make shit up. Mm, that's true. And then I come to believe it. This sounds really interesting. What else did you learn? All right. So um, that felt like you were really teeing me up. That was a very radio broadcaster moment that you just had. <laughs> Tell happens. me more about what you learned, Katrina. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back after this. (laughs) Obviously, seafarers had tattoos far before the 1700s. But Captain James Cook's voyages in the Pacific during the second half of the 18th century exposed Royal Navy sailors to Polynesian body art. And of course, Polynesian body art is incredible and has this long, rich history. It was interesting. And that brought tattoos to the States and back to Europe because these seamen were very interested in all of what they had just seen. And how could they not be? It was neat. In fact, the word tattoo is derived from the Polynesian tattoo, which indicated indelibly marking the human body and imitated the sound of the tapping of the tattoo instruments that they used. Really? Which, by the way, were generally made from boar's tusks that were used to pierce the the tattooed person's skin. By the late 18th century, about a third of British sailors and about a fifth of American sailors had at least one tattoo. 
And in the 19th century, the whaling expeditions and long training voyages that were going on, it continued to spread this tattoo interest among hmm. sailors. Yeah. Now, that's that's really interesting because you do recognize in, in history and, you know, even movies and books and things mm. that uh, tattoo uh, sailors often had tattoos. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to Captain Cook and the crew discovering what the Polynesians were doing. I did not know that. That alone is fascinating. <laughs> As the states saw advances technologically and with design and color and such, there was this transformation of American-style tattoos, um, mass-produced kind of vibes. And there was a shop set up in New York City by Martin Hildebrandt in 1846, a tattoo shop in 1846 in NYC, which I just think <laughs> must have been amazing and how different it probably looked than a tattoo shop today. But uh, during the Civil War, tattoos commemorating the clash between the ironclads USS Monitor and CSS Virginia made their way into both navies, as well as more general Vibes, So things like military insignia and uh, names or likenesses of sweethearts. But tattoos of naked women weren't allowed in the Navy. So you'll see a lot of naked ladies that had been tattooed on sailors. And then later on, clothes had been tattooed on them, <laughs> like nurses' uniforms or, you know, terrible uh, Native American representations, you know, with furs and, and yeah. headdresses and such. Anyway, so you'll see a lot of that uh, during that period. And... Every tattoo in the early part of tattooing generally would have some sort of meaning. I am a full believer that tattoos don't have to mean shit. I agree with SpongeBob that tattoos don't have to mean anything. Anyway, <laughs> the history of what they mean, including the anchor, uh, meaning that the mariner had crossed the Atlantic, is very interesting. Were these meanings assigned by early tattoo shop owners to generate business? I think that it was the sailors themselves who oh. kind of created this this language. And some of this imagery existed and represented these things before it became a tattoo. So it translated into tattoos. But things like uh, braided rope or a line would generally be placed around the wrist, which indicated that it was the person getting tattooed was a deck division seaman, which I think would include the poop deck. I'm just saying. A poop deck seaman? Poop deck seaman. Hmm. I don't <clears throat> want to know really what that tattoo looks like. And then some just made a lot of sense, like a uh, dragon might symbolize uh, luck and strength and indicate that the person had served in China. Some had um, meaning for the people that they were leaving on shore, like a compass rose or a nautical star was worn so that the sailor could always find their way back to port. Oh, that's adorable. Isn't it? Now, if you have Two anchors crossed. Uh, usually you'll find that on the web between the thumb and the forefinger. That indicates that the sailor was a bosun's mate or um, in the U.S. Navy, uh, a, boats, a bosun, which I've just learned how to pronounce. <laughs> 
<laughs> Some of the tattoo designs were specific to who you're sailing with. So in the Navy, you might see crossed ships cannons or guns, and that signified naval vice merchant service, sometimes combined with U.S. Navy specific or like patriotic motifs. So an eagle or a flag or something. You see a lot of crosses in early tattoos. And that was, of course, worn as a sign of faith or like a good luck charm. Mm -hmm. um, when it was placed on the soles of the feet, it was thought that the crosses would repel sharks. Wow, really? Yeah. And it's interesting when you get into animal style tattoos like panthers or sharks mm -hmm. or um, it's often um, that that animal is represented in your personality or you are trying to repel that animal by wearing it on yourself, okay, which I so think is really interesting. The thought behind the crosses on the feet repelling sharks mm -hmm. is that you're in the water and right. the shark comes up and sees those crosses. Right. It's like, like a vampire. Like a vampire, okay. yes. Sharks are essentially vampires. Sure. <laughs> They're aquatic vampires. Empires. So uh, if you have a dagger piercing a heart, um, that might often be combined with the motto, death before dishonor. That symbolizes the end of a relationship due to unfaithfulness. Um, a full rigged ship would be in commemoration of rounding Cape Horn. Um, that's kind of an old style version. You don't see that a lot anymore. But in that same vain, if you have a golden dragon, that indicates that you might have crossed the international dateline into the, quote, realm of the golden dragon, meaning Asia. It's really interesting to see how the tattoos can be representative of the places and things that you've done as a seaman or <laughs> the things that you want to do, like return home or not mm. be eaten by a shark. Sure. I'm for all of that. Another popular tattoo design was hold fast tattooed across the knuckles so that uh, the phrase can be read from left to right by someone standing uh, opposite you. Uh, originally, that was thought to give a sailor a firm grip on the ship's rigging. You can see it when you're holding onto a rope and it, maybe it's nice and encouraging. I, I like that idea. So the, the letters would be reversed so that they could read it? it? No. Well, no. It would be so that other people could read it. But I mean, I'm sure okay. you could. You know what it says. Sure. You've, you, you've you put it, it there. Right. You know, so. I kind of like that idea. And I've always kind of wanted knuckle tattoos. Yeah. Whole yeah. task. Now, I don't, I don't do a lot of rigging, um, <laughs> but I like the concept in spirit. Like, I... I I tend to see myself as someone who has had to weather a lot of storms, <laughs> I see. if yeah. you will. Yeah. So hold fast, I think, kind of makes sense sure. in my own. You've been three sheets to the wind. I have, I have been. <laughs> yes, I've been yeah. on a poop deck a time or two. <laughs> can you I? Know? Can I just? Can I just say this? Uh, speaking of being three sheets, um, the other night we uh, we we were having a. Uh, a celebratory evening on the deck with a bottle of champagne <laughs> and um cat got a little silly and when we went inside uh she booked a cruise <laughs> again that's the second time she's booked a, a cruise it's the champagne <laughs> when she's full of champagne but then and, <laughs> and and i find that endearing you know so the next morning we wake up and i said wow you uh you booked a cruise last night and she and she goes Oh my God, I did. 
<laughs> I had totally forgot. <laughs> and it was like a little surprise from drunk you. It was nice. Yeah, it was a little it was su- nice. surprise gift. <laughs> I love this woman. <laughs> Back to the tattoos. Okay. So if you have a hula girl or a palm tree, that might mean that you've had service in Hawaii. Um, and this one I thought was really interesting. And it used to be much more popular than it is today. But you'd see a pig and a rooster. Now, the pig would be tattooed on the top of your left foot, which I've heard is very painful, by the way. And the rooster would be tattooed on the top of your right foot. And that was thought to prevent drowning. It was a superstition that went back to when livestock was carried on board a sail ship. And if the ship was lost, pigs and roosters in their crates would float free they would float away so they would make it out of a ship accident i don't know ship terms at all shipwreck ship well i mean i I guess does Uh that mean all kinds of i think of shipwreck as like running into something Mm -hmm. but i guess it could be just tipping over and capsize yeah (laughs) i don't i don't appreciate you what you're use of nautical terms to mock me (laughs) yeah capsize that's pretty technical. A shellback turtle indicates that the sailor has crossed the equator. If you have uh, ship's propellers that should keep the bearer afloat or propel him or her back to home, uh, often the propellers would be tattooed on butt cheeks, which I think is really cute. <laughs> like little... Yeah, that'd be hilarious if you, you got really bad gas. <laughs> Another really popular one that you see a lot that's still very common are swallows. In addition to indicating that a sailor had sailed 5,000 miles, swallows also were associated with the idea of return, Mm -hmm. Um, returning to roost, for instance. You know, the swallow's famous migration pattern, always returning home to San Juan Capistrano, uh, indicated that a sailor would make his way home if he was tattooed with swallows. It was also believed that if a sailor died at sea, that the swallows would carry his soul to the heavens. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, those are just a few of the interesting meanings behind that's... classic uh, European slash United States naval tattoos. Or, or I guess not naval specific, sailing tattoos. I love it. Fascinating. Yeah. The other night we watched the movie um, Nobody. <gasps> that was so much fun. Bob Odenkirk. Yes. And I have never seen him in a role like this before. Mm. He was great. But you remember the scene where he's in the tattoo shop? Yep. And one of the guys in the tattoo shop, he's going in there to get information. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like trying to, you know, bully him because he doesn't look that threatening. Right. But one of, the, one of the guys sitting in the tattoo shop sees the tattoo on his wrist. Yep. And says... Uh, thank you for your service, and then just leaves and locks the door. <laughs> you know what that tattoo was and what it meant? No. I just looked it up because you of your story just now. Yeah. It's from the special ops world. It's the two of diamonds over the seven of spades, and it literally means bad news. You are not living much longer. <laughs> so there you go. For those I of you it. who saw the movie and didn't understand that reference, yeah. li- like me. Also, I think that's a great example of Cat's Picks. Uh, yeah. a segment that I <laughs> brought out of nowhere a couple episodes ago. Um, and I would absolutely recommend nobody. I mean, if you don't yeah. mind like violent 
revenge films. Yeah, well, that's just it. If you enjoy like a John Wick revenge kind of mm-hmm. movie, you'll really dig this. I loved it. Plus Bob Odenkirk, amazing performance. Next week, we start our trip, our road trip to Florida. Uh, you'll be hearing... Um, episodes that we do from the road as we travel we're going to take you on our road trip with you that'll be interesting with us with us yeah that's what i meant yeah it'll be a blast i think i'm super excited and we're starting to get some really great suggestions about where we should be eating along our trek and i'm down for it we're looking forward to it and we'll see you next time until then keep flying that freak flag fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.